Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. So it's very difficult for leaders to say, I'm sad and I can't buoy myself out of this place right now. Or I'm really angry and I feel like I don't have options. And like those, those like are, you're not allowed to say those things. You're supposed to be love and joy and peace and patience, kindness. And we sort of beat ourselves down with what we ought to be rather than letting God meet us where we actually are. And I know that because I've done it. (laughs) So I don't have like judgment over someone who's there, but I have empathy because sometimes we just don't even give ourselves permission to be having a hard day or a hard week or a hard month or a hard season. Welcome to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. This podcast is designed to help church leaders think about what it looks like to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. Kelsey, how are you doing? You're our producer. You're with us today. How's life? You know, I'm starting to see winter melt away, and that always makes me very happy. Like, there's hope that summer actually will come, so I can hold on to that hope. (laughs) I know. Yes, I am right there with you. And, you know, we're in the middle of Lent, and let's just do a check-in real quick on Lent. How has Lent been going for you? Yeah, this is good accountability that I need <laughs> in this season of, in this penitential season. Yeah, the one, I know you're not supposed to talk about what you gave up, but, you know, since this is a discipleship podcast, I'm allowed will, to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. So I gave up TV and it's been going pretty well. I, I still had a few moments where I, you know, gave in. <laughs> And uh, watch those guilty pleasure <laughs> kind of shows. I won't. I won't name any shows right now. That's good. Yeah, but yeah, that was my main thing. I think during the pandemic, I don't know. I don't always watch a lot of TV, but for some reason, it just seemed a lot more attractive. You know, there's not as much going on. Yeah. Uh, how is Lent going for you, Oliver? Oh well. Uh, see, I knew that that was coming back around. So for me. I have typically given things up for Lent, um, but this year I decided I well I guess it kind of did give something up. My routine has been very bad in the morning. I get up, whatever time my alarm sets. First thing I like to do is check email, and immediately check the two email accounts that I I refer to, and then I am you know maybe checking news. All very bad mm. habits, and I decided to move on my on my smartphone. There's like a little area for you know your favorite things to be there, and I decided I, I needed to stop checking my email first. So I've moved my mm. uh, I've rearranged my phone a little bit so that my email is not front and center. And I decided to put an, an app that's the Bible reading app I use because I just I just felt like I need to I need to do that. I need I need to somehow restructure things. 
I'm still finding myself, I will confess. I go to my email sometimes in the morning, first thing, and I yeah. need to, uh, this is like you said, accountability here. So um, this is confessions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so. And that is a temptation, you know, checking that email. So, yeah. and it's good that you're, you're not just taking something away. You're also replacing it with something else, which I've heard is like an important thing to do in Lent, you know? I've always found it to be helpful to add something into the thing you're taking, especially if it's like reading scripture more or praying. You know, this episode with Mindy Caliguire is all about um, the importance of soul care. And I think it's a mm -hmm. timely one right now for a lot of us in Lent. Uh, it's going to give, I know I always appreciate talking to Mindy. She's a friend of mine. I found this episode to be one of my favorites just in terms of orientation and helping us think about what is it you could have in your life and finding ways and, and patterns to create good habits for soul care. Mm -hmm. So without ado, let's go ahead and turn our attention to that episode, and I hope you enjoy this, my friends. Minnie, you are a friend of mine. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks, Oliver. I am thrilled to be with you, and I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful morning here in Colorado. It's fun to do ministry together. Why don't you talk with us for a little bit right now about, you know, if you had the opportunity to talk to a small group leader or a pastor or ministry leader of some sort, young life leader perhaps, who's just experiencing burnout, you know, where would you start? What would you feel would be extremely important to express to that woman or man in ministry? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing is it's sort of a two-sided message. One is totally understand what it feels like to be soul squashed, like you were using that phrase, like you're not alone. There's not like anything fatally wrong with you and your relationship with God. This season of burnout is a season. It's not a, a final reality, even though it can feel all consuming. So I would want, if somebody was feeling that way, I would definitely want them to know that there's not like something fundamentally wrong with them. Like just like, let's own it. Let's talk about it. But then the second thing I would want them to know is it doesn't, it, it, they won't have to stay there. Even if their circumstances largely don't really change over the next few months, which a lot of us, we don't know what the next few months are going to bring. But we are not, our well-being does not need to be determined by the circumstances that we're surrounded by. We are influenced by that by all means. But the reality of the kingdom of God and our connection to Jesus in the kingdom of God allows us to have the kind of resilience that will allow us to move beyond one or many traumatic experiences that bring us to a place of soul health. So I would say, hey, if you're in that place, like own it, like be like honest about that that's where you're at, but then know that there are ways to recover the well-being of your soul and that God very much, I believe, would want that for you. I think that's so important, right? To own it, to name it. Why does that become so difficult for so many of us? Oh, we have uh, so much shame. I mean, Oliver, we have so much. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. It's like, I just feel like there is so much shame that surrounds, well, so many dimensions of ministry, right? And we shouldn't be having that as the sort of umbrella that we're serving under. But often there is this drivenness, this performance evaluative environment that is very difficult to navigate with the sense of our 
belovedness. It's really hard to maintain that when the messages, intentional or unintentional, that are coming at us are often that we're not enough, we're not doing enough, where, you know, ministry leaders in particular, especially, oftentimes it's not even your own fault, but people want to put you on a pedestal. They want to see that you have a together life. They want, they feel reassured if they feel like their pastor has it all together, but none of us have it all together all all the time. Some of us don't have it together any of the time. And that's what normal should be. But unfortunately, we've created a rhetoric around leadership that holds to some ideal that is not real. And so it's very difficult for leaders to say, I'm sad and I can't buoy myself out of this place right now, or I'm really angry and I feel like I don't have options. And like those, those like are, you're not allowed to say those things. You're supposed to be love and joy and peace and patience, kindness. And we sort of beat ourselves down with what we ought to be rather than letting God meet us where we actually are. And I know that because I've done it. (laughs) So I don't have like judgment over someone who's there, but I have empathy because sometimes we just don't even give ourselves permission to be having a hard day or a hard week or a hard month or a hard season. Yeah. So anyway, that I, I think it's very difficult for us to just own it and not to be like proud and like, I'm just going to be this way forever and ever. And it doesn't matter. It's more just authentic. Yeah. This is what's true. Yeah. It's getting to a place. Uh, you started that by talking about shame mm. and I've, I love the work of, um, you're probably familiar with her, Dr. Brene Brown mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. research on shame. Yeah, She would emphasize, you know, the language would be, I am burned out. I am not a burnout. And what yeah. happens, I think, a lot of times for leaders is we hesitate to say, I am burned out because for some reason, there's a, a, a tape recorder in our mind that's telling us we're, we're the burnout, yeah. we're the failure. Um, yep. And, and so it ends up uh, nixing the permission that we should mm-hmm. all feel in leadership and ministry to say, you know what, this has been a long season for me. I am burned out right now. Yeah. And I need yeah. to take a breath. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I've been part of a group that's coming around the topic of resilience, resilient church leaders. And we've been having an almost weekly webinar since COVID hit. And bringing in different kinds of voices, et cetera, et cetera. But I, one of my kind of now friends is a pastor, Jimmy Dodd. I don't know if you know of his work with Pastor Surf, but he called to our attention as a planning team that the six month mark after a tragedy, you know, cause his team had helped in the wake of uh, Hurricane Katrina and other hurricanes and earthquakes in Haiti and elsewhere. And so he has seen over these decades the aftermath of a significant disruption. And his his observation is that about six months after that is when the wheels start coming off. Like pastors have all along been the ones who were serving and giving and taking care of everybody else, which is not sustainable as a way of life, right? Yeah. And if that persists as they hit as we all have hit this six month mark, because this is not just something that was localized to a particular community. This is the whole world, right? 
And uh, if we don't have a vision for sustainability, if we don't have a way of life that allows us to prioritize the care of our soul, which is how I would anchor that conversation, we will not make it long term. And we are now in the midst of things that are <laughs> are not going to rebound quickly. And we don't know what we're heading into. And so all the more, all the more, it is just vital for us to be able to not experience that shame, not take that on as our identity. Yeah. I, I am not a burnout. I'm experiencing a thing, right? It's like a, yeah. a wave of something can move through my life, but my life is anchored and rooted in Jesus. And that is the the truth, but I can lose sight of that truth over days and weeks and months. And so re-anchoring to the care of our soul, that connection to Jesus allows the momentary or, or seasonal burnout or other facets of human existence that they can they can come to us and move through us but they don't become us. They don't define us. And it's good, vital yeah, to stay clear on those. That's so good. And then, you know, one of the things you've emphasized in your work, and I wonder how this relates to what we're talking about. You emphasize a lot the interconnection of mind, body, and spirit. And mm-hmm. as I think about burnout, you know, what is it that gets burned out um, in a leader? Hmm. You know, what is it that's burning out in a season of soul crushing mm-hmm. events? You know, yeah. what is it that we experience and how important is it to realize the interconnection here of mind, body, and soul as we process and label and name the burnout we're experiencing? Those are two very different and very related, but good questions. And I want to go first. What's that? I said, go ahead and answer whichever one you want. Oh, I love it. You just teed up like such great uh, conversation. So it's, I don't know that anyone's ever asked that question specifically the way you said of like, what is getting burned out? That's a really interesting question. And it seems rather obvious now, like, why don't we talk about that? But as you ask it, the thing that comes to mind is our reserves, our energy. It's like the things that that burns in a, a car engine, right? You need fuel to burn so that the car can move forward. And if you don't refuel, right, you will burn out. We call it running out of gas, but you will burn out to use our more yeah. spiritual sort of sense. And I think the the whole promise of life with Christ is that we can anchor ourselves to a source, a source of life and of energy. And if left to our own strength, where we disconnect from that source, never intending to, but when we disconnect in real time, we lose access to that energy, that power. And we will then have a finite amount that we will deplete, 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 deplete. And if that does not get reconnected to our source, I think that's what kind of burns out. Our bur- It burns out our capacity. We have no more to give. Uh, I, I've often said that in my own season of more severe burnout, many years ago now, it, I felt like I was like this dish rag that I just kept trying to squeeze tighter and tighter and tighter to get one more drop of water to give to the people in my life. And I was wrung out, burnout, whatever you want to say, there was nothing else. And you cannot give out of a vacuum, right? You cannot, it doesn't work in physics and it doesn't work in the spiritual life. You cannot keep giving out of nothing. So 
back to the mind, body, everything else connection. Yeah. If, if what, I, pause on that. We are created in the image of God, right? That is a massive, massive, massive theological concept. You're the, you're the theologian. You can speak to that. For us. And that means so many beautiful things about who the human being is. Hugh, the nefesh, as you said uh, earlier, the Hebrew word the for Hebrew word, yeah, soul, right? right? And suke being the one in the New Testament, right? And both of those words biblically understood are inextricably woven together with the idea of one's entire life, one's entire life. Now, often in an evangelical context, we've sort of reduced, not intentionally, but reduced the soul into this like thing that's a bit of an inert toggle switch. It's like on or off. It's you're either saved or unsaved, you're lost or found. But we don't really have an imagination for the human, the saved human soul. If it's just saved and it's all good and it just gets scanned like a barcode at the pearly gates, like Dallas Willard said (laughs) in uh, one of his books, right? It's like, beep, you know, you're good. You can go in because you raised your hand, you prayed a prayer, whatever, your soul is saved. But we don't have an imagination and, and we suffer for it for the biblical understanding of soul, which is much broader. It's uh, per Dallas Willard, and I can read some of my favorite quotes from him if, if you're interested. But yeah, right. I have it right here just because I thought you might yeah, want that. Oh, um, we love Dallas yeah, Willard. Yeah, no, he, I, when I, when my soul's health imploded, right, uh, many years ago, very severely was experiencing neurological symptoms, right? And so that was my first clue to the fact that the whole thing's way more integrated than anybody that in my context was giving credence to. It's like my soul was saved. So that was fine. That was the deal was done, right? We say these terrible things, right? It was all, it's all done. It's saved. But there were parts of my body that were reacting. There were parts of my emotional well-being that we're reacting everything i think is integrated so you ready for this great dallas willard quote yeah yeah give it to us so in his chapter on renovation of the heart and in the transforming the soul chapter in his view of the soul is that it's this it's the thing that integrates all the dimensions of our personhood so if you think about it it's like you don't really sense how is your soul. That's why I think it's very valuable to understand what are the symptoms of soul health or soul neglect, because we don't directly, you know, you can't say, well, how is your soul today? I don't know, but I can tell you how my relationships are. And I can tell you what's going through my mind and whether or not that feels good or not. I can tell you how my my, my spirit or will is doing. I'm like, I have no willpower. I'm, I'm making terrible decisions again and again and again. Like I can tell you those um, things. Real indicative measure for what what's going on inside, doesn't it? Yeah. 100%. Those are the value of symptoms. They, they aren't the fundamental reconnection of the soul back to God, but they are fabulously important indicators. But listen to this great quote. He says, fundamental aspects of life such as art, sleep, sex, ritual, family, meaning roots, parenting, community, health, and meaningful work. So think about all those different things, wildly different things. They are all, in fact, soul functions. Yeah. And yeah. they fail and fall apart to the degree that soul diminishes. 
Yeah. Wow. If you think about it as like, here's the center, right? And that's my, my soul's connection to God. But at the periphery of my awareness of life, I can feel these things is art, my ability to sleep, rituals, mm-hmm. family, community, health, yep. meaningful work, right? I can tell when those things are falling apart a little bit. And most of us then try to go fix the thing that's falling apart that's really at the periphery. Right. But we don't go after the soul. What's inside, yeah. But Oliver, you know how passionately I believe this and I've experienced it. I think this is absolutely true as as Dallas is indicating here. The soul's well-being, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, your soul's well-being is driving everything that matters to you. Yeah. Everything. Your work, your ministry, your relationships, your health to some degree, all these things are, in fact, as Dallas says, soul functions. It's like a mathematical equation, right? They're functions of something else. They are functions of the soul, and they fail and fall apart to the degree that soul diminishes. Well, the reverse of that is as the soul gets healthier and healthier, as it's receiving that life from source, from God, all those different dimensions of life begin to flourish, they begin to function as intended by God, and they begin to be empowered by the by the Spirit, and and so that's why to me everything hinges everything hinges on the real time connection with God, and the way we cultivate that is caring for our soul. Yeah, and it makes me think, and you've talked a lot about this before, but John fifteen, the John fifteen passage, yes. Jesus talking, you know, he's. He's talking at the, at the Last Supper uh, with his disciples, and he's encouraging them about the future. You know, abide in me, abide in me. And it's where you see that word most prominently in Scripture, abide in me, rest in me. Why? Because as Jesus says in that teaching, you draw from me. And when you draw from me, your soul is being replenished. Your soul is being is being brought back to health and life. And then from that, we bear fruit. And, and as I think about the integration of soul, body, and mind as we're talking about this, maybe that's exactly it. Our body is a, from the depth of our soul and the well-being of that soul and the way we have experienced love filling it. We are able then to turn and, and our body in, in turn is able to function in a loving way in all relationships, aspects, and connections in life that we we have. So I just think it's so important what you're saying that we, we must hold on to the fact that our soul needs to be replenished with fuel from, from God. I mean, God fuel, I guess. Yeah. The title of the next next book. God fuel. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) Thank you, Oliver. I will appreciate that. I think there's delightful things for us to uncover and discover in the fact that we are so integrated, that the body is a, is contributes to our spiritual formation and is part of the formation that is happening in us that our mind is different than the brain. The brain is part of the body. The mind is a different thing altogether. And all this neuroscience is starting to shed some light on these previously really not very well understood dimensions of our personhood. And, and the will, like what is the, what is the, there's one piece of you that really is the chooser, right? It's, he, Dallas refers to it as the seat of volition of the chooser. And it's like, it's important that the scriptures, it's telling that the scriptures tell us to, you know, set our minds on things because the setting 
is the will, the mind yep. is the thing we're setting. And the what are we setting it on is on God and his kingdom, right? To seek first that, to set our mind, to keep the Lord always before us. These are throughout scripture ways that we should be thinking about the mind as as related to the body and the soul. And then what we what we do with our body is yeah, that's, is all a part of it, right? That's I mean so good. That's so good. You know, as I'm listening to you talking about volition there, you know, it, it makes me think about so so this burnout, right? That comes sometimes for a lot of different reasons. Maybe we've been running too hard for a season, maybe we got disconnected along the way from mm-hmm. from the fueler. And, yeah. uh, and we've kind of been, we've, we've depleted our resources, but there's also these, these things in life that kind of happen abruptly or jarringly challenges or moments, or maybe yep. even a season, I'm, I'm going to call them soul squashers. They're, they're the yep. things that just squash us right out yep. of the blue. Um, we actually had a little control over the external thing that happened. And I'm thinking specifically like, you know, this fatiguing pandemic that we are yep. all experiencing around the world, um, or perhaps a job layoff that someone has experienced, even maybe connected to that pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, and these overwhelming challenges that we feel, tensions or whatever crop up, these soul, soul squashes, you know, how do we, you know, how important and how do we make the decision in life to navigate it well? Like, what do we got to mm-hmm. do? Because you're right, the volition and the choice is our own, right? We have to make a mm-hmm. choice. Like, how do you do it? And you've had this happen in your life, I'm sure. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> That's where different spiritual practices have been very helpful. And I think of those as ways I'm caring for my soul and caring for your soul ex- expands into a whole other range of, you know, caring for your body and all, all those things matter. But as you talk about these crises that come or traumas, injuries that we may have, uh, circumstantial things that we had no control over, as you're suggesting, they are going to come. It's not like those we that we should somehow feel like we're exempt from being on the other end of those things. That yeah, That's part, part of life. Yeah, it's this part of life. But they're painful. They're difficult. They're draining. And for me, the different spiritual practices that that I've returned to time and time and time again now for so long help me in in a variety of ways but i think they are where i've i've become accustomed to going when things are hard i there was a, a something happened recently a couple of weeks ago and like it felt like layer upon layer upon layer of bad things happening all at once if you i'm sure everyone's been in that where you're like you're navigating a really hard relational thing and in the middle of a conflict somebody else calls and they're talking to you about something else and while they're on the phone somebody else calls and you know and it was involving big things you know board meetings and presentations and conflict with this person and the right decisions on these massive projects and all of it was layering and I I got the lap <laughs> the next phone call and I just found myself and almost I, it was quite unintentional but it, it feels like it was learned over time was that I just, as I picked up the phone on this, what I knew was going to be another hard thing, I just found myself inhaling, like just really taping this huge breath. And it was like, okay. And and I think various practices, you know, I think of silence. There's a, a form of silent prayer that I was introduced to so many years ago. And many, many, many mornings, most by far, 
start with me and a cup of coffee on the couch in some silent prayer, similar to what we see in Psalm 131, verse 2, that I've stilled and quieted my soul. Usually our souls are pretty loud and noisy, and I still and quiet my soul like a weaned child on its parent's lap, uh, the psalmist says, is my soul within me. And when I move into that realm of prayer, Oliver, I that's where I know that breath is when I'm I'm still, I'm quiet, I'm quieting my mind, I'm resting in God's presence. I'm not like opening my mind to the universe and whatever's flying around. It's very like Trinitarian. I am connecting with God in silence. And usually a number of minutes into that, my breathing starts to change and I can feel it. And on this one particular day, when crashing after crashing after crashing of things that I had no control over and was uh, troubled, greatly troubled by, a trauma would be too strong a word, but it was very heavy. I just, I, it was like my body knew how to go back to this place of breathing and receiving and not becoming, to your point with Brene Brown, I didn't become the stressful things. Yeah. The stressful things were there and I could be present to them. So journaling, all those things have helped me over the years to, to get quiet, understand what's actually going on. What's hard about this? Why is it so hard? God, what do you want to say to me in this? Those have been really helpful practices. I want to go back to what you, were, you just said. You had this experience in the office. You're dealing with all kinds of things in your world and you do what you have been doing beforehand. Uh, and I think that's really important for everybody tuning in and listening to think about for a minute, because the reality is, is that the practices and the disciplines we instill in ourselves over time are important. They're key. Mm -hmm. You spent so many weeks, months, years on that couch, mm -hmm. in the presence of the Lord, breathing and realizing that these breaths are gifts from God and it slows down and God's able to minister to you and speak to yep. you near God in that silence. And so in the moment, in the tension point, you're able to just go back to what you know. And it reminded me as you were talking about something I heard once um, a professor tell me back in graduate school. He said, do you know when you should read the book of Job? And everybody's hmm. like raising their hand, you know, you read it while you're suffering or when you're suffering. No, said, no, not at all. no. It's in the wisdom section of the scriptures because it's wisdom and wisdom is about having some foreknowledge about what to yes. do. Yes, yes. So said, you read Job really now in the good space on the couch mm -hmm. with the cup of coffee mm -hmm. as you're breathing so that in those moments of tragedy, mm -hmm. of total upheaval and soul squashing moments, you can stay alive and stay connected because you have that wisdom birthed inside of you already for what is to come. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I just have always remembered that. And as you were talking, I, I heard it again, um, just in a different, different way. And I think what yeah. you're saying is so key. Uh, the spiritual practices that you and I uh, involve ourselves in now, when life is good in, in yeah. sunny, cool Colorado. Yep will yep. pay off in the long run when we are in those difficult moments. What other things yeah. have you found? You started talking about journaling. I'd love, I, Mindy, take me into your world. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, here, nobody's going to be able to see this probably, but here's here's this past, you know, month's worth of 
of processing with God and, and bringing to God, you know, this is what's I'm confused by. Here's where I feel like I'm failing. Here's my hopes and dreams. Here's, it, it's just the journal has been one of the most important ways for me to get quiet enough to understand what's actually banging around in my own head. And, you know, for many years, again, back to this whole shame that we carry in ministry, I can remember times when I was much younger where I would start to write out in a journal, I'm really afraid, and I, Oliver, it's embarrassing to say, but I remember starting to write that I was really afraid about something and literally crossing it out and writing Bible verses. (laughs) There is no fear in love. No, you should totally laugh. Because, Because that's what I think so many people do. We plaster Bible verses on our authentic experience of life. And I realized over time that I had basically done, you know, the Heisman Trophy move, you know, the, the, the stiff arm that I have been doing a stiff arm to the God of the universe, who is the one who meets me in my fear, who meets me in my anger, who meets me in my pain, who meets me in my joy, who meets me in my thrill for the future. Yeah. All those things, if I continue on this path of only giving God access to a version of me that I put out there, I will never grow. I will never, God never, I never know that God is the one who heals me if I never present areas that need healing. And it it just, it, it was so strong for me. So anyway, journaling has been a place for me to just be gut level honest with myself and with God about what's going on in my life. And I'm going to ask you do. a question just because you're my friend. Dive in. Who's, the, who's the master journaler of the Old Testament? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Put me on the spot. David, obviously. David, you know, I'm so glad you, I knew. I Golly, knew I, did you really think I wasn't going to, you know, there are some parts of the Psalms exactly. that you wouldn't believe are actually in the Bible. Psalm right. 88. Yes. Psalm 88 right. starts terrible and ends so, I mean, the high point of the psalm is, I think it's the opening line is, oh, Lord, you are the God that saves me. Yeah. That is the high point of the psalm. And it just plummets. It just plummets. It just plummets. Yeah. And the end is like, you have taken from me my friend and companion. Darkness is my closest friend. That's the end of Psalm 88. Yeah. Why is that in the Bible? Why? I, exactly. Why is that in the Bible? I believe that God, that it's important for us to know that the full range of human emotion is part of being human and is, is, is okay to give expression to, particularly when it's in the context of a prayer. I mean, that's the whole like sub theme with Psalm 88 is he's railing against God. He's despairing. He's despondent. He thinks his whole life has been terrible, Just, but just, he's talking to God about it. Just think if David, in that moment, decided that he was going to start writing what he's afraid of and devastated by, and then crossed Crossed it out (laughs) and plastered a Bible verse from one of his other psalms that was a praise (laughs) over top of that. How how um, how lackluster would the psalm and the psalters be if we didn't have these laments? I mean, David writes seventy three of the psalms. He's the master journaler 
of the Old Testament. And he gives us the template. So I love that journaling is a part of your world. And to be honest, I used to journal, Mindy, but a confession, I have I've stopped over the years and I need to get back to it. Uh, and this is a convicting conversation even for me because I do wow. see, I remember the value it had for yeah. replenishing the soul. And David's journal is full of lament. It's yeah. full of pain and anguish and suffering alongside the praise. Yep. I think we do ourselves a disservice in Christianity when we try to whitewash away all of the burnout, the soul squashers, the pain, the struggle of life. And I think it's a disservice actually to God who created us to navigate and experience these things in relationship with him. I love the example of David in that. And I've also drawn some inspiration from uh, from this thought. Who else keeps journals? Who, 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 which, what kind of people keep journals? Scientists keep journals. Lewis and Clark, explorers keep journals. People who are moving into uncharted territory, who are on a discovery journey, keep journals. I had a, uh, a field bio class uh, when I was in college, and the, one of the professors said something I've never forgotten, that the, the weakest pencil is better than the strongest memory. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And so yeah. And the weakest pencil. The weakest pencil is better than the strongest memory. Ooh, I like it. And if, if we see ourselves as, you know, journey, journal, right? There's jour, jour, the French word for day, right? Yeah. J, the soup du jour, right? The yep. soup of the day. day. Jour is day. A journey was the distance you could cover in oh, a day. Very cool. And a journal was the way that you documented yeah. the, the journey, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think some people feel pressure that they have to write deep and inspiring and someday to be read things. I hope no one ever reads my journals. I want to burn them like I heard the Puritans did. Like they're not for public consumption and they certainly don't get edited. And I can't journal on a on a device, on a computer, because that triggers a different part of me that starts like editing, editing and making yeah. sure it's spell checked and all that. And it's like, no, I need a place where I can just write. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, that's the, the first book that, well, the only book that Jeff and I, my husband and I wrote together, a little tiny thing. It's a free download on the soulcare.com website is called Write for Your Soul, W-R-I-T-E, Write for Your Soul. And oh, nice. that has been, I mean, that's been around for decades now. Go get that, my friends. If you are tuning in and listening to this and you're trying to think about journaling, that sounds like a fabulous resource to get you going on, uh, on writing. And, and recording. What else do you do? Is there anything else, Mindy? That I will just offer two additional thoughts um, about some things that are practices that have really helped me. One is I've been introduced to, honestly, more recently. Um, there's a, an author and a clinical psychologist who's very embedded with the Dallas Willard and Jane Willard's work over the years. Uh, and his name is Dr. Jim Wilder. And he's done some work around a, a process of journaling that they call a manual journaling that has some very specific questions and prompts that you enter into. And then specifically, I was part, Jeff and I were part of a a small group he led here in Boulder a couple of years ago around using this methodology of journaling to help God teach us how to love our enemies. So if you want to talk about Mm. what feels like a 401, 501, and right now I think the body of Christ could use a good dose of learning how to love our enemies. 
And so my, and myself included, um, because we get triggered into enemy mode all the time. We know in four seconds, is somebody coming toward me or are they against me? And we decide in instants, nanoseconds, what to do and how to behave. And Jesus didn't live that way in the world. And how do we become like him in the capacity to love our enemies? And so there is a methodology that Jim outlines in his most recent book, which I think is called the Pandora Pandora problem or something like that. And it actually deals with narcissism in the church, but he uncovers in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You think <laughs> let's not go there, Oliver. That's a, <laughs> That's a whole other topic. That's a whole other episode. It's a whole other episode. But he, he talks about these Emmanuel journaling, these prompts where we, we call to mind something we're really grateful for. And here's a really crazy like twist, like in your journal, you're saying, God, what do you want to say to me about that area that I have gratitude on? And listen, you know, maybe God says nothing, but maybe God speaks into that moment and you have a sense of what God's heart toward you about the thing you're grateful for. is. I was like, whoa, what? I would never have thought that. But then you call to mind, like there's this whole sequence and then, and there's like neuroscience behind why they're sequenced the way they are. So he's quite brilliant. But the key to the loving of one enemies is you call to mind a time during the past week or day when someone felt like an enemy to you. And we haven't really, we don't talk in those terms. Like when does somebody feel like an enemy to me? It could be my, a loved one, but they came at me. Or it could be somebody on the other side of the world, but it feels like an enemy. So to write about that, when did someone feel like an enemy What were the circumstances? And then this prayer, or not prayer, this invitation for God to speak. It's like, what, God, do you want me to know about loving that person? And Oliver, I was in a small group week after week after week. This became routinized. Like this was a standard flow of our time together in this small group, which is, it was a great methodology for learning it because it gets ingrained, right? It's practicing. But every week, almost without fail, I would change the question to, God, what do you want me to know about this person? (laughs) But that wasn't the question. The question is, God, what do you want me to know about loving this person? Yeah, very different. Very different. Anyway, so that that has been a very helpful thing. And then the last thing I would say, and you know, this as you mentioned at the beginning, is a new domain for us with Soul Care as a as a ministry is enlisting the services of a spiritual director. For me, others with leadership coaching, but a spiritual director is someone who has walked through a way of learning how to just be with people in a way that helps them attend to God's work in their life and be responsive to it, pay attention to attend. And I have had probably four or five different spiritual directors over the years, but the the through line of their ability to help me discern where is God at work? How am I joining him? What is the invitation of this season has been invaluable. And then for leadership coaching, for people to have a safe place to process some of the next steps maybe in their ministry life or their journey into a new vocation or something else like that, the having the services of someone who helps be that safe sounding board, who can be that person who can provide some accountability, like, hey, we talked last week, what does this look like for you now? Those are the kinds of things that are really 
I believe really important. Like I, you know, I love teaching on soul care. I love writing on it. I love doing all those things, but I feel like in the end, my ability is limited. And what people really need, what all of us really need is someone who in a very human way is with us in this journey. We need those soul friends, those spiritual friendships, the spiritual directors, coaches. We need a, a range of people who share the same goals we have about the way we want to be in the world and yeah. can help mirror back to us and help invite us into that journey. So those are some of the practices that have been really helpful for me. For have, people that have been spiritual guides, it could be people that have been authors that maybe we would mm-hmm. all know and maybe just people that no one would know but you, but have been yeah. very significant in your life. I, I can tell you one one mentor who's just been uh, such a blessing. He he heard me speak when I was over in the UK with the Willow Creek Association with Gordon McDonald, myself, and I think Jim White, James Avery White, Emery White, and we we did this two day thing in two different cities about transformation in the church. And I could tell that this one gentleman. It turns out he was an elder of the church that we were was hosting it, but he was sort of from Nigeria and sort of from the UK, but a, a very much a wise businessman, ministry leader, et cetera. And he sent me a prayer. Uh, we connected at the event and he sent me a prayer afterwards and just said, hey, I really sense that God is working in your life in this new season, blah, blah, blah. And that struck up a now seven-year friendship cross continents. He's living in Berlin now and wow. uh, really involved with Hillsong in Berlin. And and. And yet he has been an advisor to me at times. We keep up on WhatsApp. We sometimes have Zoom calls. And he's a really brilliant, godly businessman and a church ministry leader and and true intercessor. And so it's just as random as that, Oliver, is I feel like there are people who God um, is drawing together even relationally out here in Colorado, since we moved here, there's just the CEO of the company I work for and his wife are amazing followers of God. There are, there are just so many amazing people out here and I mean, out there in the world. And so staying open to the relationships that God brings into your life and valuing and receiving those people as gifts that they are has been a, has been a huge, huge blessing for me. I got two last questions for you. The first one is in regards to, you know, you've written on this topic before, I think even for Christianity Today, but women in leadership, Mm. and you are a fantastic person and a strong leader. And I know there are probably a lot of women listening to um, Mm. this episode that for for many, it can sometimes be us men who are soul squashers in Mm. the church and Christian community. Uh, for whatever variety of reasons, especially in some more conservative, smaller, traditional circles. And I'm wondering, Mindy, what you might say to encourage anyone facing that type of a reality in this season. How would you, uh, what wisdom might you share with them about it? Uh, I think one of the things that has been helpful to me over the years, and maybe to women who could be listening and truly anybody who feels oppressed for some reason or right. not heard or not not valued. When you're around really powerful people who are not picking you, who are not choosing you, we can sometimes conflate them with God. And I hate to say that nobody, you never directly think that, obviously, but 
we forget that God is the one who raises you up into positions. It isn't those people. That's why it's vital to continue anchoring yourself into God and re-surrendering yourself every day to how He intends to use you in your life, where He would choose to place you. And I think I, I can get over-indexed or over-aware of one human person here or there that is or isn't acknowledging me or isn't giving me opportunity or whatever. And I, I think that's, you know, certainly speak up and be yourself and don't, you know, don't allow yourself to get shut down. But I think to even spend too much time trying to undo someone else's view of you is just not, uh, not, not always going to be a, a good path. But to remember that God prizes you greatly. God, God sees you as a, and in case of, of women, of you know, a woman who is who is gifted and called and is unique and has incredible gifts to bring to the body of Christ. And if they're not welcome in the particular context you're in right now, then keep having a conversation with God. God, where do you want me? Where is the best place? And and sometimes there's grieving. I mean, I'll I'll be honest, there is grieving yeah. of feeling like you had the thing that was needed in a particular context. And if it's not wanted, it's not wanted. And you can't undo that. And no amount of cage rattling is probably going to undo that. Um, But that's one context. And God is massive. He is not in any way held back in what doors God can open. And as we know, if, if he closes one, nobody can open it. And if he opens a door, no one can shut it. And follow him. We don't, we don't follow those human leaders who have their own perspective and sometimes you just have to honor them and bless them and say all right that's what that's the world according to you and i can still uh respect you and love you but that i i I just keep moving (laughs) don't dwell too long just keep moving your gifts are vital you are needed and i would say that again to any you know we're we're all too aware right now of other people groups who have been refused access to seats of power and influence that they absolutely should have had. And so I I think there's going to be a major disruption. uh, And I think, I think the Holy Spirit is all over that. (laughs) And we say, come Lord Jesus, come. (laughs) come. I know. Well, I think I I do hope that that is, uh, that's the case. We need, we need the church in so many ways to step up and really embrace the kingdom of heaven message and movement and, 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 Pay attention, but I think your your words to those who are struggling right now with uh, feelings of being marginalized or oppressed, whether they are women in ministry positions or men in ministry positions or people of different ethnicities and backgrounds, yep. you are your words are so helpful and refreshing. Of just mm-hmm. keep moving forward, 
keep marching forward, keep staying connected to the vine, continue to find ways to care for your soul. And that's what I love, Mindy, about your ministry. (laughs) And if you are listening right now to this episode and you're a pastor of a small church and you don't have very many resources or you are a small group leader that is just perhaps under-resourced or perhaps even neglected to a degree in your church (laughs) body, Mindy's organization is one that has been created to serve you and to walk alongside you. They do two different things. They do three different things. And our church personally in Chicago have has been blessed by that. And I'll just do a, a shameless plug for, for Mindy here. But we had Soul Care team. Mindy and her team came out and they hosted a Soul Care event at our church. It was wonderful. They had a time, time of teaching, time of worship, time of prayer for all of our ministry leaders. And we had wonderful workshops. And out of that, even some of our pastors who um, are new to pastoring had the opportunity to uh, get connected with leadership coaches and spiritual directors. And those did slightly nuanced things. I don't know, Mindy, if you want to talk anything about that Mm -hmm. uh, and share a little bit about that passion and and focus. Yeah. Yeah. No, we... we I'm so tired, Oliver, of the stories of burnout and people just dying in the midst of their leadership. Everybody who is listening, everyone who got involved, whether you're a small group leader, a pastor, whatever your role, we got involved because we want to serve people and God's wired us to, to lead and contribute. And that's all really good. But we get caught into systems that can can be really difficult to navigate or we we just lose connection with our source and we want to raise up really qualified coaches, spiritual directors who know the nuances of leadership. That's what's uh, I would say one of the distinctives of the soul care coaches and directors is they all get firsthand ministry, ministry challenges. They've been there, they get it. They are sympathetic to it. They understand what it means to hold your own space with God and your own space for who you are as a person in the midst of hard or challenging or isolated. You mentioned, you know, rural pastors that really don't have much community for themselves. Like who could come alongside them and meet them in that place? And we're hoping that more and more like elder boards even will choose to provide these services for their people where a church leadership team as yours did say, hey, we will we will cover your costs or pay a, con- a contribute to them for a season. And then you might do it more on your own after that. But I think that is a really great model to help reinforce the resilience and the sustainability of ministry leaders because I'm I'm just so sick of the and I hate to I was saying I was gonna say I'm so sick of the dying inside and I am but like it's becoming more serious with actual suicides and it's like leaders it doesn't have to be this way and reach out for help find find peers reach out to us at soulcare.com reach out somewhere and start a conversation about how your soul is doing because it matters we hear this you know for years and years my husband when we were planting a church in boston you know we had come out of willow creek which had that fabulous mantra that lost people matter to god right like which was great but I, I remember turning to Jeff and going like, and you matter to God too, bud. Like, we, you, leaders matter to God. The, the congregation matters to God. Everyone, everywhere matters to God. And do not 
ruin your life so that others can live. That is not what Jesus, you know, of all the things he said to count the cost, I do not believe one of the costs we were supposed to count was an ever diminishing interior life. Yeah. And yet that seems to be something that we almost expect in ministry leadership. And I, I'm, I'm so over it, Oliver. Like I want that story to change. Yeah. I want leaders to be vibrant and lighthearted and easily laughing and creative and able to take a, a, a rejection or a painful thing and not have it become their identity and let that wave of sadness or rejection or whatever move through them and then continue to move forward. The needs that are going to come in the next 18 months, I, months. I, I don't think any one of us has words for where we're headed. And be enormous. Yeah. Yep. And, and so let's be grounded people. Let's Take the advice of uh, Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, yeah. guard your soul's well-being above all else, because from it flows everything. Yeah, that's good. We yeah. need you with everything. But yep. Really, uh, Mindy, your passion for serving people and supporting people in their souls is evident today and evident in your work. So thank you for what you do. Well, you are most welcome. And thank you, Oliver. I love the vision you carry for the body of Christ. We have a lot of alignment on that. And you've been an inspiration and encouragement to me as well. So privileged to be with you all. Thanks. This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast was brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a ministry of Christianity today. And I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. I am a pastor in the Chicago area, and we want to thank all of you ministry leaders who have tuned into this episode. And again, if you are finding the podcast helpful for your ministry, we ask that you do three things for me. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. These are Some of these episodes are being aired on YouTube. Give us a five-star rating on, you, on iTunes. That would be wonderful. We appreciate that. Um, and then subscribe to smallgroups.com today. Um, that is an awesome opportunity. The podcast is actually available now on Amazon Podcasts. You can get it on your Amazon Alexa device and on other podcast platforms as well. If you want full access to smallgroups.com, you could subscribe today. We have various plans to meet your budget. This will give you access to hundreds hundreds of Bible studies, tools to train your small group leaders, and so much more. So until next time, friends, God bless.